So this message, like you guys are the studio audience. Is that, is that exciting? This message is going to be uh, broadcast um, to all of our Southern California campuses where I usually preach. So I need to call them out. Okay. So hello, SoCal. I almost forgot. Like I almost forgot the entire region. Sometimes I'll forget a campus. So, um, but, but I notice I always go from like the West to, to South. So that's sort of, yeah. Have you ever seen one of those maps that were inverted? It's not inverted. It's totally arbitrary, right? And South America is like above and, and below. And anyway, don't let me get off on that. Okay. So hello, or so Irvine, Riverside, Cal Poly Pomona, Claremont, APU, Caltech, USC, UCLA. Hello. All right. <laughs> I'll see you at the other side of the message for our usual Q&A. Okay, so, so, so we're, we're just starting on his story, and it's, it's very, very rewarding to um, study Abraham's life as it, um, a, a, like from the perspective of um, what sort of being is God? What sort of person is God? Uh, because you see Abraham, and you see God, and, and you see how he relates to Abraham, and that's going to give you uh, a, a real good texture, right? Because if you want to get to know somebody, um, you know, like, I don't know, nowadays, I guess we go for Enneagram or um, Myers-Briggs, and oh, that'd be interesting. Like, what's God's Myers-Briggs? I don't know. Um, and, uh, but, but you, like, if you really want to tell somebody about, like, a friend that you're really proud of or something, what do you do? You tell stories, stories. You tell, like, you know what? With your masks on, it's, it's hard to, like, you know, know what you're thinking. So you have to exp- be overly expressive with your eyes. Okay. It's a, it's a new skill we all need. Okay. So stories, we tell stories. And then what do stories entail? Stories entail uh, events and ups and downs over time. And you know, the kind of stories you tell aren't, you know, like, oh yeah, my friend, you know, he's been a good friend for me uh, for, you know, 20 years. And, um, you know, like he eats really well. Like that's not, that's not a, like a story is what it's, it's, how your friend was when you were down, like things like that. And so that's sort of what we're going to get. And through that, we're going to get a feel for who God is. Uh, so, th- so this will be from Genesis 12 to uh, the end of the book. All right, so we're going to jump into Genesis 12. I'll read. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife and Lot, his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, uh, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So so we'll pick up there. So Abram... Um, it's a little confusing because it's Abram, and then later it'll change to Abraham, and I'm probably going to call him Abraham uh, throughout the whole time, so don't be confused about that. 
Um, so three of the great monotheistic religions trace back to Abraham, right? I mean, he's, he's arguably the key figure in the history of human uh, civilization. And, um, and these are the monotheistic faiths. Uh, the the Judeo-Christian and Muslim faiths all are Abrahamic faiths, right? So it goes back to this man. Um, he was the first patriarch. God would address himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was the first prophet of God. Uh, he prayed over cities. He prayed over kings. Um, and he is called a friend of God three times in the Bible. Remarkable that a man can be called a friend of God. And one of those times by God himself, Abraham, my friend. So the story of Abraham is important, uh, not, not just because of sort of his stature, but in order to understand the rest of Scripture. So here's how his, his story begins. Um, it begins with, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go for, from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Pay attention to, to, to this, this speech by God, this invitation by God. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God invites Abram on a journey with him, right? But God doesn't say a whole lot in terms of details. The details are pretty sparse, right? The details are pretty sparse. It's like, come with me. Where? Oh, I'll show you, you know, to be arranged. Uh, you, you, out of you will come a great nation, but I'm old and my wife is barren. How does that work? Well, we'll work that out. But if you follow me, then here are my promises to you. And the promises are um, rather lavish, although they're not the kind of promises that maybe you and I would respond to immediately. Although you can tell that they're good, they're not bad. You know, it's like it's all right to be the father of a great nation, I suppose, but I would like some gold bars immediately in the meantime, right? Like, you know, you I don't know if you get into these, like if you had a genie or something, they ask you three wishes, and it's no fair asking for three more wishes at the end of the, like, and then you, and then you think about this. I don't know if you've spent time thinking about this. I have, and then I go, why am I thinking about this? It's never going to happen. But just in case, you know, like, what am I going to wish for, right? Um, so so his his promises are, are are lavish, but the details are sparse, and but 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 there's an aspect of his promise that's that hits us kind of as an odd thing to say from God. He says, "Whoever messes with you will have me to deal with, right? Like I've got your back, you know, like that kind of idea. And where do you see that? Like among gangsters, right? Among like really good gangsters, like really covenantally related gangsters, like the mafia. You know, you mess with one of us." Then, then you know, you mess with all of us. Where else do you see that? Where the promises are uh, lavish and and hopeful, and the details are sparse. Like, what's another context in which you see that? Thank you, marriage, marriage. All right. So, I always wanted to actually do that at one of my weddings that I officiate. I officiate a lot of weddings. Uh, I don't anymore. I've sort of passed that on to the younger guys. But uh, so I missed my chance to do that marriage thing. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you've got to treat Princess Bride like one of the best movies ever. How many of you have not seen Princess Bride and you have no idea what I'm talking about? You have not seen Princess Bride. Okay, this must be remedied right away. So uh, highly, highly recommend. All right. So, oh, so now you have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay. Anyway, 
Uh, there's this really austere kind of setting where the bishop comes and he's like in all his, his garb and then, and then he's got a speech impediment. So it's, it's not funny. You have to see it. Anyway, um, marriage, right? Marriage where, you know, I never got down on one knee. Like in my generation, that was not a thing, but it is, it is nowadays. But, um, you know, back in 1986, you know, I told Kelly, like, you marry me, it's going to be good. You know? <laughs> It's going to be awesome. The, the promises were lavish, you know. <laughs> promises were like, what? you know, she was a working engineer. She was a software engineer, and uh, I was a student. I mean, of course, I was a law student, you know, at, at Berkeley. So there's some future prospects, right? But, you know, I was a starving student, and I didn't have a car. She had a car. She had a nice Toyota Celica, and she had an income as an engineer. And, and I said, but, man, if you marry me, I'll take care of you. Like, what is it? I was 23. What is a 23-year-old guy going to say to his wife? Like, what do you say, you know? Well, I mean, if, the, if, if you're the heir of, of some fortune, I guess you can, you can kind of pull out the bank statements. That would be kind of tacky, but you could do that. I had nothing, right? I had, I had like, gosh, what did I have? I had less than $100 in, in my bank, and I nearly bankrupted myself by sending Kelly a dozen long stem roses. I still remember the, the, how much it cost, 56 bucks. You can maybe get three stems nowadays, right? But at, like I nearly bankrupted my, my, uh, all my worldly savings, sending her, you know. So what am I going to say to her? I say, well, if you come with me, it's going to be good. I will be with you. I will be with you. That I can guarantee, right? <laughs> How much is that going to be worth? I don't know. That's sort of what's going on right here. And it's, a, it's just one of the most, it's like a watershed moment in, 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 the, in the history of humanity as God's dealing with man. Like, like that God would come to a, a mere man and say, come on a journey with me. It's going to be great. And I will be with you. Like he's offering himself. It's a language of friendship. It's an invitation to a covenant relationship. Not a contract relationship where if you do this, 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 and I'll do this, 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 and that defines our relationship. It's way more robust than that. Like I, I, my destiny will be bound up with you. So the God of, God of the universe is inviting, and, and it's, it's a lot of promises, right? To the land that I will show you, I will make of you, I will bless you, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Like, I will be there with you. He's, God is offering to bind himself with Abraham. And so it's an invitation to relationship. So now let's sort of step back. Um, those of you who've, who've been coming to this series, we start in Genesis chapter 1, God the Creator. And throughout the, the first 11 chapters, like eons go by. But one of the features of the first 11 chapters is repeatedly this pattern. That, that, that since creation, when God speaks and realities emerge from his words, since that time, God's word seems to be resisted and it meets a wall of disobedience and resistance. Now, after reporting the scattering of all of humanity, the biblical narrative slows down and zooms in. And it zooms in on one person and it gets very personal. The word of God comes to one person, and it's a word of invitation. And, and Abraham was called the father of faith, right? Like, 
What is his response going to be to this word that comes to him? Abraham, leave. Like back then, family, uh, you know, where, where you grow up, that's everything. Today we have a mobile society, not back then. And, you know, to venture far away from home was, like hardly anybody ever did that. You know, you'd lose all of your protection, uh, all of your security. God says, leave all of that and follow me. Uh, and Abram responds. So the question, how am I to live my life? How am I to live my life? That is not a simple question. Right? It's not a simple question to answer, and I think a lot of people don't answer that question. If you don't answer that question, then what do you do? You just sort of get carried along in the conveyor belt of life. Right? But, but how will I live my life? What is that? that? That overwhelmingly large question breaks down into several other equally confusing questions. Like, who am I? My identity. Seems like these days identity is up for grabs and everybody has to come up with their own. What's my path? What's my purpose? Uh, someone said that modern life feels like this. It's like several billion people in a room, everyone shouting their name simultaneously, uh, trying to tell everyone else to, to try to let them know I'm here. It's like a room of a billion people, you know, shouting their name. I'm here. I'm here. This is who I am. This is what I like. This is what I'm into. Um, and, and here in this text, in the great origin story of faith, biblical faith, you get a very different picture. You get a picture of a man who says, I am not my own. Uh, I belong to God. Here's a man who doesn't construct his own path or identity or meaning, but receives these from God in the form of a call, an invitation, form of a calling out, and who then humbly and trustingly responds to this invitation to a relationship with God. And from here on, better or for worse, Abraham's life and decisions will be in response and in inter interaction with the God of the universe. So in order for this to happen, of course, uh, he, he's got to do what? He's got to leave. Um, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house. And, um, and this map over here, you know, this is, this is modern-day Turkey, this is Mesopotamia, and, and he needs to travel all that distance. Um, it, you know, it's like obvious you have to leave in order to go somewhere, right? Duh, right? You have to leave. Um, the, the call to leave here and to go there, or to call the call to leave your search for significance and safety and security, to, to leave that, to abandon that. Because that's what it meant for Abraham to leave his father's household, to leave his country. But to leave all of that, to go where God will show. That's the pattern throughout Scripture. right? Here's Moses minding his own business. God comes to him. I, like he says, go. I send you to Pharaoh. Moses comes the people enslaved in Egypt go to the land of Canaan. Jesus comes to a bunch of fishermen and a tax collector and says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And people who can't leave, who continue to hold on to, you know, they're, they're fear-driven or maybe greed-driven 
narrow vision for life. And they never experience God. I know a lot of people who've been to church and like kind of know the doctrine. But there's never been a leaving. There's never been a venturing of faith. There's never been a this, this is safe. This is uh, what the world pursues. This is my cravings. But here's what God calls me to. I'm going to leave that and move toward where God calls me. Like there's no, there, there's no story of those kinds of moves. And so you never experience relationship with God, which is essentially this dynamic. It's a, it's a dynamic of invitation, call, and response. That response requires a leaving, a sacrifice. Uh, and like any leaving, yeah, it, feel, like it, it feels risky. And so you would do it as an act of trust. But that's the dynamic of every relationship. So here is the next verse, right? So Abram went. So Abram went, as the Lord told him. Don't know what he was thinking. You know, we're not given any of that detail. Yeah, so he went. You know, it's like, it's like that moment. You know, will you marry me? Or I do, right? It's Abram receives this word. And he gathers everything, and so Abram went. Um, this response by Abram, same saving response described in the New Testament. I will make you fishers of men, Jesus says. Mark 1, 17 through 18, that there in your handout. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then Matthew 28. So that was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Before Jesus leaves, he says this to his disciples. And, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. It's that same dynamic all the way back in Genesis 12, all the way to the New Testament when Jesus speaks to his disciples. Like, leave your nets, leave your fishing, come follow me. I will make you. To Abram, God has said, I will make you a blessing. To his disciples, Jesus says the same. The wording is different. I will make you fishers of men. I will make you rescuers of human lives. So when God calls you, it's a proposition. said, will you follow me? Will you trust me? And it's followed by, if you do, then I offer myself to you and these promises. So what promises? What are the promises? Um, well, um, I will make of you a great nation. So that's, you know, children and, and a huge, huge family. I will bless you and make your name great. Um, so this isn't to be interpreted as fame. I, I will make your name great, meaning you're going to be um, an awesome character so that you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. So I'm going to bless you so that you get to be a blessing 
So, so that's interesting. Like maybe I'm not interested in being a blessing. Maybe I just want to be blessed. But God says, no, you're going to be a blessing. And then I will bless those. who. So if you, if you boil it down, it turns out it's like seven blessings, right? So, so that be, that's nice. Seven. I know that that's, that's regarded as, as kind of a perfect number in the West, but maybe we need to add one just to make it more like Chinese, you know, then, then it'd be eight blessings. Um, children, right? Nation. Uh, so as, as you look at this, why don't you, why don't you pick like, which one of these excites you the most? It's one of these genie questions. Like you have to pick one, you know? All right, so go ahead and share that with the with someone next to you, like the one that you like the most. No explanation, just just Okay, so <laughs> all right, so um I think um it, it sort of it sort of culminates uh, and I think it peaks at a uh, worldwide blessing through him. All the families on earth will be blessed through you, right? Um so it's interesting that when God calls Abram and Abram responds, the promise is this will connect you to mission. You know what to do with your life because your life is going to be about blessing other people, right? So it connects you to mission. It connects you to belonging, connects you to other people. I really doubt that there's anything like that available apart from God. To true, meaningful work and genuine belongingness that is not narrow and based on tribe or race, or family, but it's the nations. And again, the Great Commission, Jesus saying, go make disciples of all the nations. Go. Abram, go. Disciples of Jesus, go. Make disciples of all nations. Bless, bless others. Bless others. Um, so so I want to I wanna talk about that. I will bless you. Make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So, like, blessing, like, we want blessing, like, bless me, right? Like, I mean, if you go out and you say, hey, you want to, like, can I talk to you about Jesus? They're going to say, get away from me. But if you say, hey, like, can I bless you? You know, I'm a Christian, and, and God listens to my prayers. Can I bless you? You know, way more people are going to say, like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, can I pray for you? Is there something I can pray for you about? Like suddenly people say, yeah, yeah, you know. But it's, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. People want blessing. Do people want to be a blessing? It seems like, it, it seems like blessing other people um, sounds like giving yourself, right? So it's a bad pun. Oh, it's not a pun, is it? No, it's not a pun. Okay, never mind. Does bless make you less? Uh, anything to, to make the message memorable? 
to, does bless make you less to, to bless other people, right? Somebody struggling with their with their you know CS assignment. You know you're a computer whiz. You say, well, let me bless you, and help you with. Does that make you less? Yeah, because you spent time. You wasted time. You know, helping somebody else's test score doesn't end up on your side of the ledge, or does it? Or does it? Does the blessing others make you less? Well, well, the structure of Abram's God's promise to Abram is, "I will bless you, so that you will be a blessing. So I will bless you, and you will be a blessing." And these are not separate. God's blessing, like God wants to bless you, and the only way that He's going to do that is to turn you into a channel or a conduit of blessing to other people that's how god is that's his very nature right he's he's full of love he's creative he creates he blesses right and we covered that in genesis chapter one like flourish god wants flourishing god wants abundance of life and the way that that's going to happen is if his love goes through you to bless other people and that's the goal and as you pursue that goal guess what you end up getting blessed be, be, like blessing yourself, like I want money, I want career, I want a foolproof, whatever. Like to, to, to get that and to make that your goal will end up with you not getting that, nor the ability to be a blessing to other people. C.S. Lewis said it like this, put second things first, you get neither. Put first things first, you get second things thrown in. To be a blessing is the goal and it overlaps. I will bless you and you will be a blessing is one and the same. So when, when, you, when you want to clutch onto your advantage and when, when you want to be selfish, when you want to hoard whatever it is, you know, my time, my money, my advantages, my career, my internship, like it, it's my path, you know, that's really lonely. Like good luck with that. I mean, really good luck with that because that's a terrible path. And, it, you know, and if you're sharp and you've got all your ducks lined up and okay, so maybe you'll get that. But you know what? It'll turn to ashes. Because we weren't meant to live like that. That will not be inspiring enough for you. That will not be, a, be meaningful enough for you. Meaning, inspiration, connection with other people are meant to be given to you from outside by your maker, not, not made up from within. This life of I belong to myself, you'll end up finding it's not a whole lot of life. A life when you give it away and you say, I don't belong to myself, I belong to God. God, what will you have me do? And God says, well, go love that person. Go open up your home. Do this and that. Like, okay, well, that, you know, that's not good. It's less of me. But you do it, and you end up getting blessed. Opening up your home, you know? Never locked our door. You know, like too many people coming in. People would come ever since Kelly and I were, gosh, I don't know, a few years um, out of college. We've always had people in our homes nearly constantly you know, three refrigerators, you know, a young couple shopping at Costco, you know, enormous quantities of stuff so that I can cook for students. And they ate our food, burnt through our money, and, you know, made our apartment messy, ruined our privacy. Like me and Kelly, man, we could have had like a pretty cool life, you know, lawyer, engineer, you know, good, young, attractive couple, maybe not attractive, okay, but... <laughs> And um, no, but our lives were 
like God was terrible, you know, said, okay, I'll obey you, God. And God enslaved us and made us do all these terrible things, you know, ruined our privacy, um, gave up my career, lost on income. And then what happened? Like my life got incalculably richer. I've got a hundred homes, you know, slept in Boston this past week and then down at Philly. Well, Philly, I stayed with my son, so I guess that doesn't count. Um, I mean, a hundred homes, a, a thousand people, you know, who can wreck you as well as uh, give you richness of covenantal relationships. Um, a lot of you know that Rutgers Church in Princeton was all started from a bunch of Californians because, you know, California is burning up. It's awful. It's drought, you know, and uh, it's crime laden. And so we needed to run away to, you know, beautiful east coast where the roads are 200 years old and every winter nature takes a couple of attempts to kill you but we came here because it's so attractive because we don't have fall foliage that's one thing you guys have that californians don't have fall foliage that's why we came here that's it no right i mean like we had nice careers and beautiful homes and lots of friends and you know one day we all packed up and said you know let's go why? Because God says go. And there are people to love over there. There are people who don't know Jesus. And we think knowing Jesus and being part of his family is the very best thing you can ever get. You know, you get a job at Goldman Sachs and at one Wall Street and your signing bonus is $200,000 or $200 million. If you don't know Jesus at the end of your life, you are headed toward an eternity of darkness. And here's God who says, I'll be with you right through the wall of death. Jesus says, behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. Who's going to take you through death? Yeah, you, you go before me. You lead me. You guide me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will be there. You youngsters, you know, you're all so young, you know. <laughs> You're, so so I, I like to compare it to the, the time of the day, right? And so y'all look like you're around, around noon, you know? Me, I'm like 8.30 p.m., right? <laughs> you think, oh, man, there's a preacher talking about death. There's a Baptist bus. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Baptist bus. What's the Baptist bus? It's the bus that the Baptist preacher always tells you about at the end of every message that can hit you as you're exiting the church building and usher you to kingdom come. That's the Baptist bus. And it's awful and it's manipulative and it's true. You know, actuarial statistics being what they are, it's not likely to happen. But short or long, it's going to happen. We're all going to get, like at best, we're all going to get hooked up to a bunch of tubes and they'll inflict medical care on us. Sorry, Matt, I know you're a doctor. You don't like me to talk about medicine that way. Um, but we're going to die some, of some horrible accident or some horrible disease. Come on, like that's real. Not for a while. What's after that? I talked about belonging to yourself like I'm my own. Are you? 
Maybe that's the biggest lie there is. There's no, like, what? You are just here. It's like one gigantic miracle. Like, here I am. And then you, you go, yeah, it's exactly as I ordered. Well, not really, right? Like, you'd like to be a little taller, at least me, and whatever. But, like, yeah, here I am, and it's my life. It's such an absurdity, and yet nobody thinks that's absurd. Until you come to the Bible and you realize why. Because man's first move away from God is saying, you're not God, there's no God, I'm God. And if you're God, then I guess your life is your own. But if there is a God, your life ain't your own. And you know, that's potentially really good news. It really is. As you'll discover what kind of person God is through the life of Abraham, you'll know to belong to God Sounds like an awesome idea. It's just the grandest idea. And it's true. We belong to God. And if it's true to align your life to truth, sounds like that would be the best thing to do. So if you align your life to that, okay, there is a God. If there is a God, that matters. If there's a God, not only does that matter, it's personally relevant. It's inherently self-involving. How is it self-involving? It probably means that my life belongs to him to God. What are the implications of that? It's exciting. Part of the implication of that is God wants to walk with you and turn you into a center to bless others. And as you turn into a blessing for others, as your life aligns with being connected to others, you end up with your very best life. So it turns out he does bless you. But you get maximally blessed in the process of being turned into a blessing. Um, you know, this involves trust, right? Because there's so much anxiety and so much fear uh, around choosing away from selfishness and self-interest. That just seems, that feels crazy. It feels crazy. Sort of like relaxing in the water in order to float and learn to swim feels crazy. But you're going you're gonna to have to trust God that when you obey him and work on being a blessing, that you being blessed and you being a blessing overlaps. So a life of faith, what, what is it? It's responding to God's invitation to journey in a relational way. It's leaving, and then it's trusting that you're going to be a blessing. Um, and then we're going to have to finish the rest of the chapter. Okay, so um, the rest of the chapter involves this really weird story in which, um, well, let's just, let's just read it. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So, like, okay, I come to the promised land. It's occupied, fortified cities with scary people. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So good enough. He believes it. He builds an altar. Then he moved to the hill country to the, to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So um, he sees the land. It's occupied. He gets the promise. He builds an altar to the Lord. Um, so Abram is, is, is hanging on 
But it gets worse. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a beautiful, you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. <laughs> so, not, not, not the grandest moment, right? So there's a famine, Egypt. Egypt is, you know, not all that dependent on rains, and so it's a very stable environment. Always food in Egypt, so they go to Egypt, and Abram's anticipating what's going to happen. And he says to his wife, Sarah, no matter what, I will protect you. No, he says, look, this is what's going to happen. They're going to kill me. Say you're my sister. Call me your older brother so that I can live. So, yeah. Well, that's exactly what happens. And then um, Sarah gets taken into Pharaoh's harem. And, well, Pharaoh's an honorable guy as far as these things go during these, <laughs> these times. So he gives Sarah's older brother, the male you know, head of household, you know, tons of gifts. So Abram gets very rich, loses his wife. There's no promise left anymore of a, of a great nation. It's awful. And the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave men orders. Hey, escort these guys out of here. I don't want any more God's curses. They sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Okay, so there's a lot to be said here, but God's promise. Whoever harms you, I will curse. Now, now you, you, you have a pledge. Like, I don't know if, you, if, if you've ever pledged yourself to someone like that, and if that person's shady, you're on the hook, right? Like, will God really? This is so unjust. Who should get the plague? Abram, right? He lied. He, like, he's the coward. He's the manipulator. Pharaoh gets the plague. God risks his own honor to protect Abram. Of course, Abram will have to grow and have to be the sort of person who, if God protects, will be the standard and will not, will not tarnish God's reputation. But he commits himself. He has committed himself to Abram, not to Pharaoh. And God's going to keep his promises. God's promises are secure. And Abram gets the undeserved rescue. The undeserved rescue. This is, you know, w within this story, it, it seems unfair and all of that. But that's how loyalty works. That's how covenant works. That's how faithfulness works. It's not unfair. It's non-fair. I pledge myself to Abram. I'm going to stay faithful to him. So when the gospel comes through Jesus, it says, everyone, come and be saved. It's a call to sinners. I forgive you, but I'm a sinner. That's right. I'm going to rescue you through my blood, 
undeserved rescue is at the core of the gospel. A lot of people think, well, you know, if, I, if I'm a Christian, I need to be, like, good. Like, maybe you'll end up being good. I think that generally happens. I've seen it again and again. That's not the point. The point is that the Son of God, Jesus, is hanging on the cross, addressing you as a sinner, saying, this is how bad your sins are. This is how loved you are. If you think you're a sinner and you would like forgiveness, undeserved rescue, come. That's the message. And you see it played out in the story. God made a promise to Abraham and he's going to keep it. God makes us a promise through Jesus and he's going to keep it for eternity. So we end with this. Abram builds, he goes back to the place where he had made the altar first. And there, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Think about Abram, the shame, the humiliation, um, and this sort of awkward wealth that he develops, he has, through that little journey to Egypt. And then he builds an altar to the Lord. Short little description, but I wonder what Abram learned of God. I wonder what the difference now is between the first altar and the second altar after he failed so miserably, was rescued so undeservedly, and now he calls upon the name of the Lord. Lord, I see that you are going to be faithful to me even when I am not faithful to you. Even when I got scared, came up with this scheme, even though I've been proven to be this cowardly person. Wow, you rescued me. Yeah, that's the dynamic of relating with God. God was faithful to Abram, and now Abram is learning. God can be trusted more than I ever thought. Yeah, so that's the dynamic of walking with God. It's exciting. And through that, you see Abram eventually uh, becoming a towering figure, a source of blessing to many. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together, for your wonderful words. Lord, with all the mockery and prejudice against uh, the Christian faith these days. Uh, what a marvel it is that we can gather and uh, once again um, be affected by these uh, ancient and unchanging uh, truths. Lord, may, may we see the absurdity of asserting our own sovereignty and may we experience the uh, exciting journey of faith that is opened up when we entrust ourselves to you and respond to your call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.